following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Praise the Lord. Are, are you praising the Lord in the middle of the storm? In the middle of the storm, man, there is, there is victory when we worship Him, like when we declare Him God, that our faith shines in the midst of those dark moments. Man, that's when then we feel our hearts lifted. Like I love, like, man, I just love the song set this morning. This is what the Lord spoke to me in it. Like the first song, this is the lyric I heard. I am with you in the fight. I am with you in the fight. And let's remember this, that, that we're not fight, like, what's our fight? We're fighting for faith, like, he says, I've, I've fought the good fight of faith, right? Like, we're fighting to believe, right? That's every, every, every moment that we face adversity, the struggle, the trials, all those things, we're fighting to trust God, right? To trust God here, to trust God now as he tests our faith. I'm going to trust God right here, right now. That's, and that's what it is. That's, that's our fight. Like, we don't have enemies, right? They, we might, they might, they might declare us they're our, our, you know, their enemy, but, but we're called to love those who, who, uh, who, who are our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. To return a blessing for curse. To entrust ourselves to a faithful creator in the midst of, of, of being treated poorly and, and, and trust him for the results. But in the storm, in the, and I love it, it's in the middle of the storm, in the mystery of the storm. You've been there? You've been there when the, when the storm doesn't make sense? Right? In the mystery of the storm, that's where, that's where our faith takes great expression, but it, 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 it anchors us. It sustains us. Right? When, when we put, I mean, if, if we're trusting God when it makes sense, is that really faith? Right? But in the midst of the storm, when, when, when unbelief is calling our name and beckoning us to, to, to turn, man, faith calls us, like the final song says, to sing out. You know what the word hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Naked I came in this world, naked I will depart. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be, right? Man, in the middle of the storm, because that's where our faith declares that you are God and I trust you. Isn't that it? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're worthy of our trust. You're worthy of our faith and our confidence, our confident assurance that you are who you are and you do what you say you will do and that your promises are faithful completely and perfectly. Lord, I'm so grateful that you spared hope and and Charlotte and Emmy from this, this recent accident. Lord, I'm so grateful for your mercy. It's you that protects and provides for us. So thankful for Hannah's protection. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in Daniel and, and, uh, and Alan's life in order to, to surround them with a body that, that would be an instrument of your comfort. Lord, I pray that your comfort would be realized in their lives, in their children's lives. Pray that you would speak just rich grace in its various forms, the comfort that only you can provide, the God of all comfort. And Father, I thank you that Jimbo and Joe are home. 
Uh, you are doing great things, Lord. You are always up to good and great stuff. And so open our eyes to see the wonder of these things that you're doing, that, that our hearts would be moved to praise so that we would celebrate you when, when things are dark, that we would know that your mercies are new every morning and that your light, your dawn is, is, is promised and coming. And so, Lord, we're, we're just grateful to be yours, grateful for this moment and this opportunity for us to be in this place and, uh, and to hear from your word. Holy Spirit, we, we long to hear your message today. Use frail instruments in order to bring your magnificent word to light and, uh, and, and have our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you seed our hearts with your good word and produce fruit in our lives as we submit to your word Longing to be your helpmeet, Lord Jesus, your submitted helper in seeing your mission realized in this world. Help us to be lights and today help us to be ready to receive a word that can be so convicting in our context that we might move to being these lavish and generous givers like you are in every way. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As, as much as I'm excited about today's message, I'm also thoroughly convicted by today's message. This message in the context of our culture that is so... Do we have hoarders in our culture? <laughs> do, do, we, do, we have, do we have excess in our culture? Uh, do we have opportunity to to give out of abundance in our lives and and this is kind of where we come to i i'm going to i'm going to kind of lay the groundwork prime the pump if you will uh for this message because i believe with some backdrop we jump into this with with hearts that are prepared and ready so last week we had a wonderful message uh fred Share with us uh, uh, the, the message. This is what John said. This, the, the forerunner, the one that came to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight the paths of, of, of hearts. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That we are, we are fruitful when we are walking in repentance on a consistent basis. And, and what that means basically is that in order for God to, to make us like him, we're the ones that have to change. Right, that he's immutable, he's he's perfect, he's 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 not like shifting shadows. He's he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, and so we've got to be in this posture of <laughs> ready to change our mind and our posture and our lives and our actions at any moment as the as the Lord brings counsel and guidance for for change. And, and we don't do that in our strength, but His. And so the good news is, is not only does He give us these things to change too, but He gives us the power and the want to and the how, like He gives us the counsel even, like the counselor is within us, empowering us to see these changes come to fruition in our life. Isn't that good news? Like He never asks us to do something He's not going to help us do, right? He's our ever-present help in time of need. And then even in that, that thing where, you know, James opening verses, he says, uh, he says to them, he says, you know, count it all joy. NIV says, pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And then he calls them to a posture where you trust God, you know something about him, that he's, that he's doing all this testing in order to make you like himself. And then verse five says these curious words. 
He says, if that is something, which it is, beyond your wisdom, just ask God. And he'll give to you generously. Remember that word this morning, without finding fault. But you must believe. Now, you know, we, we don't want to be double-minded men, unstable in all that we do, right? Like, we want to believe God will give us wisdom when the, the ask of us is something. Have you, how are you doing at counting it pure joy in the midst of the trials of life? D- does anybody need wisdom on how to see that through in the circumstance that, that that's in? Right? And God says, ask, and I will give generously. But believe that I'm the one that has this gift for you. It's an awesome thing. So last week we were challenged to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And, and one of the challenging things is, is there were three different folks in the crowd that, that distinguished themselves, right? There, there's the crowd, but then there was the, there was the tax collector and then there was the, the, the soldier. And it was preached so wonderfully. I'm just tying it into this week. Like the thing that, that I, and I, I shared this with Fred, the thing I came away with was, Whoever has two tunics. What's a tunic? The tunic is, is the closest article of clothing in the first century Jewish life to the skin, right? It, 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 it's almost kind of like underwear. Like if they only had their tunic on, they'd be like, ooh, you know, like it's, um, it's, it's so like, you know, he took off his outer garment wrapped, like, 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 so what, it's often talked about the tunic and the cloak. And here he's saying to them, if, if you have two tunics, Whoever has two tunics is to share. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with sharing? Like every parent starts their child off coming out of the womb with a selfish disposition, you know, to try to teach them to share, right? Do you think our Heavenly Father likes when His kids share? You think that, that is God a good sharer of Himself? His son, his spirit, his word. Is God generous and lavish with his things for us? Did, did you think he wants us to be good at sharing? And this, this was the challenge. Like, this, this is what it looks like for you to repent. If, if you've got two tunics, whoever has two is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So, question. Is God generous? Right? And to what degree? Can it be described? It's, you know, perfect, right? He is generous, lavish in his love, perfect in that expression. Does he want us to be like him? To what degree? I mean, he's going to finish what he started. When we, when we meet him face to face, we will be like him. We will, be, we will know as we're fully known. Like, so in, in Philippians 1.6 says he's going to finish what he started in us. He's going to make us like him. And so, you know, like our, our part is to join him in the journey as we understand what he's doing, right? As we look at Jesus, who is the exact imprint, Hebrews 1 says, of the Father. You know, he says, when you've seen me, boys, you've seen him, right? Like, so like when we see Jesus, we get an idea of like what God wants in a human life, in an expression of love to him and to others, because that fulfills the law and the prophets. Love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and do you think generosity and sharing is a part of that? I think it's huge. And I think God wants us to be like him. We're told in Ephesians 5, it says, be, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of 
love. So um, we, have a, we have a saying in Acts that is not in the Gospels at all. Jesus is, is given credit by Paul of saying something that we don't have in the Gospels. Anybody know what it is? It is more blessed. Listen to what it says. Acts, you got it. Acts 20.35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Like that, that's the blessed life. To, to be a giver. Do you think God gives us things that we might give? Do you think that some of the things that he's given to us is, is actually earmarked for, for, for others? Maybe? Did Jesus come to give his life away for the benefit of others? For he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, work hard. You know why? So you can share. <laughs> work and gain. Have you ever thought that your income is so that you have the resources to share, to give? Like, that's what Paul says. You know, stop stealing. This is what the verse says. And start working so that you can give. That's why, that's why we work. And man, is that a part of the American mindset on why we work? That our workplace is our mission field and, and we work so that we can give? Or is it the workplace is, is torture and I work so I can have? And so I have a few questions for you. What has God given you? What has God given you? Is it more than enough? Two tunics, one for you and one to share. You know, like, I think sometimes we hear BOGO and think, buy one, get one. But really, like, the biblical mindset, like, should be buy one, give one. Right? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be better if we saw it that way? Jesus, Jesus, well, we can say God said, when you have done it unto the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. You ever wondered, how do I, how do I give God? When you've done it unto these. Man. So do we tend to be like uh, the Israelites? Look at what my hands have done. I mean, where do all good and perfect gifts come from? I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe on any level that we have earned? Do, do we realize that every breath, the skill that we've been given, the wisdom we've given, the resource, everything we have is from God, even the capacity to earn, the, capa- the, the, the knowledge that we have to do, the skills that we do, all of that is from God. What does God intend for us to do with it? Why did he give it to you? If we really believe that everything we have is a gift from God, and not something we deserve or have earned, how should we respond to him in faith? How should we respond to him in faith, in worship? I I got a question for some parents. How grateful are kids for what parents do and give them? Oh, I, I knew there would be snickers, right? I mean, 
So when, do, when does their gratitude come? I said throughout maturity, right? I mean, like, there's these moments where it usually through adversity or their, or their own kids or their, their own bills, you know, it's like, oh, maybe that I, I am a little entitled, right? But are we entitled as God's kids? Does God get that kind of attitude from us? Look what I earned. Look what I did. I mean, that's what's said of the Israelites. He said, you'll, you'll, be, you'll live in houses that you did not build. And when you come, how many times did, 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 does it say through the Chronicles and, and Deuteronomy, the repeating message of the, of the history of the lineage of the Israelites, does it say, man, you're going to go into that promised land, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to get, you're going to be blessed, and then you're going to forget all about me? Does, does, do we do that? So, does the Lord deserve our gratefulness? and generosity you might say god has it all why does he want anything from me actually and this the lord gave this to me actually what god wants from us is for us god wants us to be reminded through giving and generosity that that we're simply stewards we're entrusted with 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 our breath with our life with with the gospel <laughs> with the gift of his son you know with the message of hope right and with everything else that's been put in our hands in order to see that mission realized did, did you, you ever think of the, the 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 monetary the resources that we have in our life that they're they're meant to resource the kingdom and the mission Look, I, I think it's interesting. You know, he, this is what, what John said, right, to us last week. He said, if you have two tunics, he didn't say give both. He says give Why? Because what God gives us is for our provision. He's a good father, right? He's a great shepherd. But it's not all for us. It's, isn't God good in that he gives us what we need? Problem is we don't know what, where our, 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 our need meter's broken, right? Like we think we need more than we truly do, right? We're, we're born with broken wanters, right? Um, but isn't God good that he gives us what, I, what we need and then he resources us to be like him, to be givers? Like he gives us so we can give. Amen? Like, does that make sense? Like, he wants us, guys, don't miss this. He wants us to experience the joy of giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's not about how much I have. It's about the heart in which I give and why I do it and to whom I do it. So, we need to remember where it all comes from because history says that we forget so our, what's our theme for the year? Fearless faith. And in that theme, in order to, to, to make sure we don't lose traction, we're going to do a message on fearless faith at the end of every month. Well, can you believe, like Marty said, we're in the end of February. March is tomorrow. Like, like, but, but here we are at the end of February, and we're gonna, what we're doing is we're going to walk through the Faith Hall of Fame, and we're going to look at 11 different historical characters in the, hell, in the Faith Hall of Fame that, that exercise their faith in trusting God. By faith, fill in the blank, right? And, uh, and we begin with the first one, which does anybody know who the first one was? 
by faith Abel. Okay? So what I want you to do is, if you have your Bibles, which I sure hope you do, and if you don't, there's, there's Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. Grab that, throw it on your lap, and I'm going to make it real easy this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Okay, Genesis chapter 4, we're going to look at just verses 1 through 8. And um, in order to give, as you're turning to that, in order to give a backdrop, I'm going to start with Hebrews 11.4. Okay, verse number 1. Today is Hebrews 11.4. But this is all talking about what we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 4. All right, so the first character that we hear after saying faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence of things that we don't see right, is, is Abel. Who is Abel? Right, Abel is the, the son of Adam and Eve and the brother of, the which brother? Younger or older? Younger brother of Cain, right? And so like, when we, we have to understand here that, that there's, there's this, this significant difference between the way that Abel relates to God and the way Cain does and how Cain then responds to that interaction. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read Hebrews 11.4. It'll be on the screen and then we'll dive into Genesis 4. By faith. Can you repeat that with me? By faith. That is so key. I capitalize it because I, well, it's not their capital. But by, and my note, I capitalize. But by faith, Abel did something. Right? By faith, Abel offered to God. So here's my question. What motivated Abel's gift to God? Okay, good. So it's faith that drove this expression of worship to to God. It says, by faith, Abel offered a gift to God, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So was it what they gave that made it more acceptable? Well, look at that, right? Because the answer is no. It's not about what they gave. It's more about and why, right? How and why. So a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he, being able, was commended as righteous. Now, big question here. Why was he commended as righteous? Because of his faith. Not because of what he did. Right? Not because of his, of what he gave, but because of what motivated that giving and what he gave, his heart, his faith. Because what imputes righteousness to anyone? Faith. We are saved by faith through grace. It is faith. Right? In, in, uh, in Genesis 15, 6, it says, and he, being Abram, believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. So I have some questions for you. How is Abel's faith demonstrated in an offering to God? How is Abel's faith demonstrated in an offering to God? Second question, why was Abel's sacrifice more acceptable than Cain's? Right? Than Cain's. So we've already discussed that Abel was commended righteous by faith, just like Abraham. That's so important that we understand that what, 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 what pleases God? Faith. You know, it's interesting that we see in the scriptures where Jesus marvels, right? And we've mentioned this before, at a centurion who says, who just exercises faith that he can do, he can just say it and it'll be done, right? Like he acknowledges his power 
as a man of power. And, and Jesus is like, Jesus, like marvels, right? But you know there's another place in Scripture where Jesus marvels? And it's not as positive. He's in his hometown and he marvels at the lack of, what do you think? Faith. He says, I can, he doesn't say I can't do nothing here. I, he basically says I can do nothing significant here. Look at it. And so we have a, like our faith pleases the Lord. Like it pleases the Lord. So Genesis, here we are in the text, Genesis 4, 1 through 8. I'm going to read through it and we're going to diagnose this as we go to get together through it. It says, now Adam and Eve, his wife, Excuse me. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man. What's the next thing say? With the help of the Lord. Where does our help come from? Guys, do we, do, do we live with that reality? This is a big question. This is, this is very important. Do we live acknowledging God's strength in the things that is accomplished in our life. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. She acknowledges that. I think that's a big part of this whole discussion is that, is that we are aware of God's care and provision and protection and help and strength. Like, you know, like, okay, a farmer. Right? Come, you know, has a, has a bountiful harvest. Who gets the credit for that? Right? Who brings the rain and the, and, and who provides the soil and who provides the sun? With the help of the Lord. Verse two. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. That makes him a what? A shepherd. And Cain was a worker of the ground. That makes him a farmer. Okay. Verse three. In the course of time. Now we have to unpack this. Uh, when you put a seed in the ground, there's some time that must pass before you rejoice in the harvest. But that this, this statement in the Hebrew goes deeper than that. This is basically saying when he got around to it. In the course of time. Right? In the course of time. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, we're going to look at verse 5, and I want you to look for what distinguishes Cain's sacrifice, worship, right, gift, offering from his brothers. So, verse 4, And Abel also brought of the, what's it, what does it say? Firstborn of his flock and of their you know what that basically said? Abel brought his first and his best. He brought his first and his best. Do you think that, do you think that meant anything to God? Do you think that said anything about Abel's heart? Did it say anything about Cain's heart? And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard so god said i'm finished with you cain you're out of here i want nothing no that's not what he said right that's not what he said because that's not our god right that's not our mercy giving loving grace-filled god like it says so cain was very angry jesus did a teaching on this in the sermon on the mount he says if you have anger in your heart towards your brother it's 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 similar to what it's almost 
you've already done it, he says, in your heart. So, so he says this to Cain, you know, God knows his heart, right? So Cain, Cain, was, um, Cain was very angry and his, face, his countenance reflected it and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Did God know the answer to that? Okay. Um, and, uh, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? What is, what is, what is God? Every time God seems to ask a question, whether it's, where are you guys? You know, when they were hiding the God, like he knows the answer. What is he looking to accomplish? Repentance. Right? He's just looking for them to acknowledge their sin, to acknowledge their own heart, which he sees clearly. Goes on, verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Okay, let me just pause for a moment. What is God saying doing well looks like? Give me your first and best. Show me through your, 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 your worship, your serve, your love for me, right? Like, like if you've seen, you, you now know what, what pleases me. Like, cause it's, listen, it's, do you think God liked sheep better than wheat? Do you think that was the case? You think that's the reason he liked that better? It's, it's not about what we give him. It's why we give it to him. Right? And even first and best, how we give it to him. Right? So, so he says that sin is crouching at your door. Guys, um, have you ever been given an opportunity to give lavishly and wrestled with it? You ever been there? I hope so. Because I believe that God always, you know, tests where our securities and trusts are. Um, do you think sin might be crouching at the door at that moment? Oh, no. <laughs> then, then what will you have? It really kind of identifies where our sense of security lies, our sense of trust, what we really believe is going to see us through. It is, its desire, speaking of sin, is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel. So what we see that happens is God gives, gives Cain counsel. It's just like what the Holy Spirit does for us when sin is crouching at our door. He gives us counsel to avoid the moment of destruction and devastation that he knows is coming. He's good that way, right? And he says, don't do this. I know what's in your heart. And all you have to do is instead of being jealous of your brother, just... Just follow his example. And so, rather than do that, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Hey, why don't we go hang out in the field? And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and did what? He killed him. Why? Jealousy. Pride. Instead of repentance, Cain moved in anger. So back to our questions. How is Abel's faith demonstrated in an offering to God? He gives God his all. He gives him the best and first. Why? Because he, de- he declares who the prior- who's the priority in his life and from whom it all came from. 
and who he's to be thankful to for everything. Because isn't our tendency, man, we like the first and best for, you know, I'll say it this way. What you give the first and best to, time, money, that's probably what you worship. Because that's an act of worship. And the sad thing is, most of the time, guess who gets the first and the best? We give it to ourselves, don't we? Well, let's look at a passage that helps to unpack that a little bit. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. And this is where we'll finish our time together this morning. And this is thoroughly convicting. Luke chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 13. So Jesus is teaching a crowd. He's discussing the things of God. And in the midst of his teaching, while he is teaching, can you imagine um, someone just stands up this morning as in the middle of the, of, of the sermon right now and just says, Hey, Colin, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. Okay, that's what happened. I, th- I think we've got to put that in context. Like, they, he just kind of shouts out. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is Jesus' response. He says, but he said to him, man, he doesn't, I mean, he knows him. Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? Another translation says, what business is this of mine? Like, in other words, this is not God's business. And he said to them, now speaking back to the crowd, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness. Some translations, I bet some of yours say greed, right? The word covetous has two sides. It's like a coin. It has two sides to it. One is the side of the saver that thinks, oh, I'm good. I'm a saver. I'm not a spender. But the saver saves, why? For a sense of security. They find their sense of, of comfort and peace and rest and security in what they have. And the spender, why does the spender covetous? Well, because they spend in order to acquire so that they feel a sense of having and they find their security in what they have. But, but both are covetous or greed. He says, take care, be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist. One's life, this is God's word. Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a parable to illustrate this, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then this is the principle he teaches in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasures or treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, let me be clear here. Look, he is not condemning planning, financial planning. 
Okay? But he is saying it's more of an attitude and priorities. Is God, are we being rich towards God in all that we do, including this? Because he, he says, it says there, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So Jesus doesn't mention dishonesty here on the behalf of the rich man or that he exploited others. I, I think it's interesting that the parable is called the rich fool. Isn't this barn building an example of like responsible planning? I mean, doesn't it from a, from a Western perspective, doesn't this seem to make sense? Yet Jesus calls him a fool. Why? Why? Well, look with me at verses 18 and 19. And I'm going to highlight some things that really stand out. It says this, And he, pronoun, said basically to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grain and my goods. And I, are you sick already? I'm already sick, right? I'm just sick of reading it, right? It sounds like what the devil said in, 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 in Ezekiel, right? About what he was going to do. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, <laughs> soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> there was no thee. There was no thee. There was just me. Right? That, that, that was his kind of attitude. Even when he said you, he was speaking of himself. He effectively stockpiled enough so that he could wine, dine, and recline. Right? So do we need to be careful about this attitude in our culture? What about you? Do, do you need to be careful about this attitude in this season of life? Listen, listen to verse 20 again. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The rich fool went to the wrong person himself and asked the wrong question, what should I do? Right? His mistake wasn't that he planned, but that his plans didn't include the Lord. Does that make sense? His mistake wasn't that he planned, but that his plans didn't include the Lord. And there it is. Often when we fear losing our career, our health care, our health insurance, or retirement, we accumulate and hoard wealth believing that, believing the more we have, what? The safer we are. We use financial terms like trusts and securities. And we often point out, point, uh, or put our hope and trust in annuities and in pensions uh, to the point that balance statements determine our mood in given times. What happens when the market or the economy shifts? Guys, do you know since 1948 how many recessions the U.S. economy has faced? Matt knows. You can't talk, Matt. Twelve. When I read about this, there was 10, but then we've had two since 2001. So the average is every five years. So here's the question. Do you want to be on that roller coaster? 
And what would you say about a husband that had a wife um, and changed his, his, his marital habits every five years? I don't think that this, this economy is very faithful. Without God, trusting in stuff makes sense in an uncertain future, right? But God is faithful. He's a faithful shepherd. And he doesn't want us to put our trust in money. Listen to what Matthew, you, you probably knew this one was coming. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other. I mean, listen to the contrast here. Hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. Some translations say mammon, which is the God of money. Right? So like, guys, you, you, you got, you got to make a decision here. Like, are you going to find your trust, your, your security in, in money and how much you have or don't have or, or, in God, because it says you'll love one and hate the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. And I love in this text that we're looking at, in, in, in Luke 12, if you, if you go down, Jesus talks about, do not worry about food and clothing, right? This sounds a lot like Matthew 6. This is the Sermon on the Plain here, though. Different message. And he says, look, <laughs> birds don't go out and sow seed and harvest, right? But, but God cares for them though you are more precious than these. And then he says, oh, you of little faith. But look at verse 32. Like he says, I love this. He says, fear not, little flock. Do you know that's the only place Jesus says that? He looks at the crowd and he says, don't fear, little flock. For it is, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, guys, listen to what he just said. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. Why are you worried about food and clothing? He's given you the kingdom. Like, that's what Jesus wants us to understand. God has given us Himself, His Son. He's given us the kingdom. Like, we can, we can just rest. I mean, when, when a child knows that his, his father's got all those details taken care of, the, the, the posture is, I'm good. I, there's peace. There's rest. But when we're trusting in things that are fickle, like economy and, and 401ks and scary. We are told in Hebrews to be content because God is with us. Listen to what this says. Keep your life free from the love of money. Right? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How? How? Right? Like what's... How? For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the how. That's the, that's the truth that allows us to rest in, in a content manner. Like that God is with us. Like... The, 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 the owner of everything, the one that has it all, a cattle on a thousand hills, he's, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that good? Like, what is contentment? Contentment is a place where we state, I have enough. Because he's more than enough. 
right? It's, it's a place. And you know what's good about contentment? When we come to a place where we're not thinking that I need this in order to be satisfied or this or this, which is an endless, pers- I mean, read Ecclesiastes, right? Chasing after the wind. Like, but like when we come to that place where, I, you know, I have more than enough, now whatever comes to us, we're in a posture of doing what with? Sharing, right? Sharing. So good. Psalms 37, 25 says, I have been young. This is the testimony of the psalmist. Like I've lived some years and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Isn't that good? Hey, listen, I got some history here and, and, and what I've seen is this, is God takes care of his kids. Our heavenly father is the lavish good giver and he's a good gift giver and is faithful to provide for all of our needs. He is our good shepherd and the source of every blessing. So here's what I I want us to remember is, so he is generous and dependable. Do you trust him? (laughs) I love that, Jill. Yes. Listen to what 1 Timothy 6 says. I mean, you can't, when you're talking about contentment and money and all of that, you can't get away from Paul's counsel to Timothy in chapter 6. It says this, As for the rich in this present age, he's saying to Timothy to charge them, like as an elder, as a leader, like make this charge. Charge them not to be arrogant, haughty, prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But to set your hopes on what? But on God. Now, what about God? Who richly provides us with, what, what's the word? To do what with? Do you believe that God gives you things to enjoy? Like, look, he's a good daddy. He wants you to enjoy the, some of the facets that he entrusts. But you know, he wants you, to, he wants you to share so that others can enjoy too. And he wants you, I mean, what parent... Who's more excited on Christmas morning, the kids or the parents, when they're like, oh, I can't wait for them to open up, right? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So he says, they are to be like, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to do what? Ready to share thus storing up for themselves a, as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is, what does it say? Truly life. You know, would you believe, like he says, more blessed to give than receive. Like, would you believe that true living is more in giving than it is taking or hoarding or even receiving? And do you believe that God's economy thrives when, when the people of God live with generous hearts trusting the Lord? Here's a, here's a, I, I read an article in the U.S. News. This is from October 17th, 2018. And this is what I share with you. I think this is just sobering. So this is like a little over two years old, right? Almost half of the world's population is living on less than $5.50 a day U.S., Almost half the world's population, some billions of people. Here's what Proverbs says. This is the the attitude of wisdom, right? Listen to what it says here. Two things I ask of you. 
This is a prayer, a petition of the Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. One, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And then he says, this is the why. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do we have a propensity? I mean, God says it over and over. We're going to get to a few. Like, do we have a propensity when we're self-sufficient to kind of, I got this God mentality? Listen to what Hosea 13, 6 says. But when they had grazed, they became full. This is God speaking of his people. This is the prophet speaking to Israel. They were filled and their hearts were was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So how do we escape this? How do we escape this mentality, this attitude, this perspective? How do we, like, we, we got to avoid the mindset that it's, it's yours and you earned it. We got to avoid that m- mentality. Listen to what Deuteronomy 10, 14 says. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Who does it belong to? First Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is... What does it say? Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So let's contrast the rich fool with the woman in the temple. You remember this? Mark 12. Three powerful verses. So Jesus is in the temple with the boys. They're kind of, they're, Jesus witnesses a widow. And just like our giving box in the back, there's a giving box in that outer court. And it says this, And a poor widow came and put in two copper, two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called the disciples, his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, can you imagine the moment there? Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. More of what? Because it's not more monetarily. So what is Jesus talking about here? He says, she has put, this poor widow has put in more then all of those almost saying, let's, let's, let's measure, let's put it on the scale. Hers is more. More of what? Faith. She's put more faith in God than anybody that's given today. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty and has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. See, some might have celebrated the investment strategy of the barn builder and discouraged the generosity of the widow. But isn't it interesting that Jesus does the exact opposite? Listen to what Timothy 6.17 says again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, haughty, arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Guys, can I ask a question before I read this last verse? Look, look. God doesn't want what you have. He's given you everything that you have. And he doesn't want, he wants you to, is it okay? Like, does God make faithful instruments rich? I mean, are there rich, sincere believers? Absolutely. But, but their riches doesn't possess them. Right? They don't find their hope and security and trust in, in the, and they're rich towards God, first and best. Like we see in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, that, 2 Corinthians 9, that, that, you know, that those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. Like, doesn't that make sense? You throw down a few seeds, you're not going to get a whole bunch of crops, right? You know, it's kind of attrition there. But, but those who sow generously, it's a, it, it's a posture of faith. Reap generously. I've seen it. I've seen it for, I've seen it. I've seen people of, of a generous posture, maybe gifted to be a giver, that just give lavishly. And it's like, God, don't you see that God's going to resource them to be faithful? To, that's God's economy. But then when we, we, we store or, or hoard what, what God has given to us that's earmarked for, for others and for the, for the, for the, uh, to, to resource the kingdom work. Man, no wonder, no wonder, you know, you, you're not, you're not, if you're faithful and little, right? Let me read the final verse one more time as the worship team comes. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Man, trust God with your money. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.